Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Girl, I think the hot guy makes his debut in episode three, but I'm, it might be episode four. So hold tight. I will let you know as soon as he gets here. I think I know who it is. Okay. <laughs> I knew you'd get there. Don't say anything. Just tell me. when. Let's let it be a surprise and we'll figure it out together when we arrive. Okay. You know what we haven't done in forever? We didn't do our song. Jillian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Ba-na-na. Before we get to the show, I'm going to remind you again, if you want more fun, more laughter, more hang time with me and GP, join us on the Patreon, you guys. Over 140 full bonus, hilarious episodes to download and binge right this second. It's like 80 million hours of content. It's where we do our series, girl. All 58 episodes of Making a Murderer, <laughs> Lorena, The Jinx, the first season of Serial, OJ, Madeline McCann, The Staircase, Tiger King, Don't F with Cats, Tiger King. We're in the middle of McMillions right now. Ooh. Lacey Peterson, Menendez Murders, which is one of my favorite ones. I feel like I don't mention it enough. You used to mention it all the time when we were like, I know. It. that was always your first one. I'm like, girl, I know, Manetta's brothers. But now it's like, you're coming back around. That's right. Um, You guys, you know where to go. It's patreon.com slash obsessed or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Also, we have a new podcast. You guys, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Go check out the network website. It's obsessednetwork.com. It's a brand new site. It's very cool. It's got all of our podcasts there. Mix and match, you guys. We got a lot more stuff coming up that I'm very excited to let you know about. Yeah. Anything from you this week, girl? It's hot. Is there anything fun to say? <laughs> No. I don't think there is, actually. <laughs> All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the most dangerous animal of all. So we're doing episodes three and four for the second episode of our coverage of the most dangerous animal of all. Right, right, right. So we're in 2004. Although the case was considered closed and inactive, if anybody had a credible lead, they should contact this guy named Lieutenant John Hennessy in the San Francisco Police Department. So I called him, and when he answered the phone, I said, Lieutenant Hennessy, my name is Gary Stewart, and I have a story. John Hennessy, we'll take your call if you have a real credible lead. Gary, are you listening? It's a real credible lead Hennessy's looking for, okay? I love that Gary's like, so basically I called this guy up and I was like, hey girl, um, I think this Zodiac Killer's my dad, girl. Right, but he throws everybody under the bus in the process. He's like, so my mother was once married to Rotea Guilford, you know, like groundbreaking Rotea Guilford. Yeah. So the thing is, I'm looking for my father and thanks to all this help from a Sergeant Butler, you might know him. Um, I'm calling you today to let you know that my father is the Zodiac Killer. So launcher, like, how do we do this? <laughs> and so according to Gary, John Hennessy's like, whoa, whoa, what? Right. And goes right to Harold Butler yes. and is like, I need Gary's father's file now, girl. No bullshit. Don't, don't mess with me here. Hennessy went to Harold Butler's office and he asked to see my father's file. And Hennessy told me, Gary, your father's file was sitting on Butler's desk. But Harold Butler refused to let Hennessy see what was in that file. His dad's file was on this guy Butler's desk. Just sitting there with like a big spotlight on it. Like exactly. this is Gary's father's file. Like what? And he like slams his hand down on it. And he's like, no, you will not see this. Yeah, he was like, Sergeant Harold Butler of yeah. the SFPD is like, no, John Hennessy. Now get out of my <laughs> office. I said good day, sir. And I'm like... I don't believe a word of this. And then Gary's like, but John, level with me. Has the Zodiac case been secretly solved? And John's like, no, it's open. But Arthur Lee Allen was the prime suspect. Yeah. And so this is where we learn about Arthur Lee Allen. Arthur Lee Allen was the prime suspect in the Zodiac case. But he's denied to the day he died 
being the Zodiac Killer. And one statement he made was that, you guys have it all wrong. I know who the Zodiac Killer is. He's a crazy man I met in Atascadero State Hospital. And Gary's like, ding, 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 ding. Guess whose dad was in Atascadero? Also, Gary, because no one's ever denied anything before. Right, Gary's exactly. like, well, it can't be Arthur Lee Allen because he said he didn't do it. So obviously, <laughs> let's move on. And I'm like, Gary, you are so clearly new here. Like, of course he denied it. Totally. So then Gary gives this Hennessy guy his DNA. Hennessy told me that they had a partial profile of the Zodiac's DNA from a stamp. And so that's what they were going to compare my DNA to. And I know that if this case is going to be solved, it's going to be solved because of DNA. And so now we're back to the actual Zodiac case. And the Zodiac was like, I'm going to like follow a school bus and just like pick off these little kids as they get off the school bus. In San Francisco, two more communications have been received from the Zodiac. School children make fine targets. I think I shall wipe out a school bus some morning, just shoot out the front tire, and then pick off the kiddies as they come bouncing out. This was one of his like most famous letters because it caused a panic. It's absolutely yeah. terrifying. It's, yeah. And people yeah. were already in a panic thinking, oh my God, first it was kids on lover's lanes. Then it was a cab driver. Now yeah. it's like, it could be any of our kids going to school. I mean, the Bay Area was was a wreck. So the Zodiac wants to be seen as intelligent. And so he's writing these letters where he's like making these literary references. And he writes this one letter in the style of the Mikado, which is a Gilbert and Sullivan like operetta. They do like a side by side where they like show the guys singing the songs and they show the Zodiac letter and it's like word for word it's so bizarre as someday it may happen that a victim must be found i've got a little list i've got a little list of society offenders who might well be underground and who never would be missed also, there's not a single second of footage they could play from that that's not, like, insanely racist. So, like, it's just, you guys, it's just, it's so racist. Like, they don't, like, perform it anymore. It's so racist. Right. But, like, they needed to show, like, how similar it was. And I was like, ooh, ooh, that's just so cringy. This is so goddamn racist. Oh, my God. I need a shower after. Oh, my, it's 30 seconds. It's not mm -hmm. even. It's just to show this. But I'm like, I feel uncomfortable. You can't do that. But you know who loves it? Van and his family. As I researched my father's life, I discovered that as a young boy, my father learned the Mikado when he and his parents were missionaries in Japan. I also got verification from his friend William Lomas that they listened to the Mikado at my father's home. And of course, Gary is telling us this as another one of those little coincidences to connect his dad to the Zodiac. Because he needs it. Okay. Right. So now, a few months later, Zodiac sends a Halloween card to reporter Paul Avery. So it's October 27th, 1970. We're back in time. So this was like a big deal. It was the first time Zodiac actually like threatened someone specifically, not just like, here are these people I murdered, which is horrible enough. Yeah. But Gary is there to say like, oh, you guys, there's a connection here. Don't you worry about that. A few months after the Mikado letter... The Zodiac sent a Halloween card to Paul Avery, who was a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, covering the Zodiac case. So this is the Halloween card sent to Paul Avery from your secret pal. He was clearly indicating to Paul Avery that they knew each other. They had met before. 
Gary is saying like, yeah, that's my dad, AKA the Zodiac Killer saying, I know you girl. You were the guy that interviewed me that seven years ago and called me balding and bespeckled and a pedophile and embarrassed me in the newspaper. So I'm coming for your ass. Right. And so, you know, we're back to Gary and he's saying that like in the final years of the Zodiac's activity, we don't really know where my dad was. And like, I was spending a lot of time like researching where was my dad like during this time and after this time. And then he gets a letter from a friend of his dad's. It was in a letter from him where he said, I'm sorry to have to inform you that your father is deceased. He died in 1984 and he's buried in an unmarked grave in Mexico City. I know you've been searching for your dad for forever at this point, but I got to tell you, he's dead. Um, he died in 1984. <laughs> the way you said I got to tell you, he's dead. And it's like... And we wouldn't be laughing if he hadn't been garbage, but he was garbage, so who cares, girl? He's a rapist and a kidnapper and an abuser. Yeah. And ooh, yeah, I feel... Best news I've heard all day, actually. I know. <laughs> and Gary really fucking falls apart you guys and like it's hard to watch and he's like getting really mad about the closure that he needed I would never have a chance to meet him and I wondered did he ever think about me before he took his last breath did he ever think about me did I ever matter so not having those answers that I really wanted that closure I guess it was just really sorrowful that I, I would never get that. I remember reading about this unmarked grave in the book and thinking like, oh my God, is the Zodiac Killer buried in an unmarked grave in Mexico City? No. And then we see the unmarked grave. He finds out where it is. And of course he drags his like lifeline, Zach, to Mexico City and they go and have this really awkward, uncomfortable scene in the graveyard. I have in my notes, Gary, aren't you exhausted? Like we're here at this unmarked grave and he just like goes and we're just standing there and you're right. It's very like, who's going to be the first one to speak? And Zach is like I think he did you a great favor by abandoning you truly you're you're lucky in a way that he made the decision that he made you could tell it's years of like I'm just gonna say it I gotta say it somebody's gotta say it yeah. and he's like you are so much better off without him why are we here Earl yeah. Van Best Jr. is a piece of shit dad like yeah. you should be grateful you didn't have to deal with him who knows what your life could have been like at three and a half months old those first three and a half months of your life sucked absolutely but three and a half yeah. months old you got this loving amazing family we just had a barbecue last week and it was awesome right. potato <laughs> salad for days like what are we doing here like <laughs> like this guy's a nightmare not the Zodiac but a nightmare like move yeah. on dad Poor Zach has had to give his dad these kinds of pep talks since he was four years old. And like, and Gary's like screaming and he's like talking about forgiveness. I hope that I'd have the chance to bring you here because I wanted you to see that the love of the Stewarts and God's plan for my life didn't give you this as a legacy. Knowing that I went there with my dad and helped my dad make peace and say goodbye. I forgive him. And I'm like, what is happening? This man is unraveling before our eyes. And I'm like, where the fuck are the producers? You guys stay tuned. I know exactly where they are. <laughs> so we're back in the States and we're back with Judy. And Judy's like, in 2014, I hadn't seen Gary in a while. And so I proposed that we got together for lunch for two and a half hours. We had an amazingly wonderful time we talked about everything. The lunch ends 
and Gary's book is published. The most dangerous animal of all, like my search for my, I like my something like I was looking for my dad and I found the Zodiac Killer, comes out. It's like a New York Times bestseller. Judy had no idea. It was a week ago that they had lunch and he didn't mention it. Judy finds out about it because People Magazine wanted a quote or wanted to do an interview with her. And she's like, how did he not tell me this at lunch? And so she texts him. She's shocked beyond belief. Then he's shocked that she's shocked. Right. And I'm like... Dude. Yeah. And Judy is like totally, completely floored. And then Susan, the co-author of this book, Susan with the big hair. (laughs) She's like. And the gun. And the gun shooting into nothingness. You guys like (laughs) responsible gun owners stand up. She should not be doing that. Correct. You can't just shoot. With no rhyme or reason into the tall grass. I know. You can't do that. This is why I don't hike, girl. This is why I don't go on hikes. For random people just in the woods shooting their guns at nothing. Wayward bullets from a pink plastic shotgun or whatever she had. <laughs> so Susan's like, I got to tell you, it was amazing that we got a big name like Harper Collins to publish this bullshit. And I'm like, I- Susan, yeah, me too, girl. <laughs> But Michael Signorelli, the editor of the book, is here. You guys, I do love these documentaries that, like, they get everybody. The producers make everybody feel like the producers are on their side and they all spill the tea. And the producers have no allegiance to anybody. Because Michael Signorelli, he says a lot of things, but he's like, look. With Gary's story, our question was, does he deserve to present his story and share what he believes based on this evidence? And the answer to that is 100% yes. It's a cash grab. You're pronouncing cash grab wrong. The story is insane. And Michael's like, you know, Gary deserves to tell his story. It's super believable. He should tell the story. And I'm like, Michael, again, (laughs) don't lie to me. Like, just say it Uh to my face. This is insane. The thing that made me the most mad in this section was when Gary's like, people from around the globe were saying, I feel for the guy finding out his dad was this evil person, but we're glad he did. The families of the victims now have closure. Don't do that you re-victimize these families yeah and he's back to just speaking for everybody again like that's how we met him when he just generalized about people who give their kids up for adoption or adoptees like he spoke for all of them right. and he had yeah. shitty things to say he's kind of doing the same thing where he's like all the families they love me right. i did a great thing here and i'm like think about it this was 50 years ago i don't know if these families are still alive right what are you saying but we're right back to judy and like judy is saying a lot of the speculation in the book was preposterous. The speculation in the book was preposterous. She says it again, her favorite word. Yes. Judy had two husbands. One was Earl Van Best Jr. One was Rotea. And she's saying like, I was so offended by the way Gary came to the conclusion that my husband Rotea must have interviewed Van and that the San Francisco Police Department were trying to cover up for Rotea. Right. And she's like, I'm so offended by this. He completely betrayed my trust. He made up these like intimate conversations and he shared the real intimate conversations they had. She's like, he twisted words. He twisted facts. He jumped to all these conclusions. Right. And now like, again, like Gary, if you're going to lie and you're lying a lot, (laughs) if you're going to do it, to me, it just seems like in what universe, like where do you get that the SFPD is covering up solving one of the biggest open and inactive cases that has ever come across anyone's desk and because like everyone wanted to take the credit for it which was like part of the reason why it was so convoluted and technology back then and paperwork was lost don't you think the SFPD wants to be like we did it right Toski and Armstrong they did it right and so we're with sister Lynn we're with Judy's sister Lynn and she's like I was very shocked to learn that Gary was trying to make something of the fact that Rotea was a police officer at the same time that the Zodiac murders were occurring because he became 
a, a homicide inspector in 1971. That, that was a year after the Paul Stein murder happened in San Francisco. This is insane and all of the facts are wrong. Gary is saying in the book that Rotea was working the case. He wasn't working the case. Gary says to us, he sa he says it, he looks me right in the eye, he says it to my face, girl. He goes, you know, here you have the first black detective in the force and then it turns out he interviewed Zodiac and let him go? That's a disgrace. And I'm like, Gary, I look, know. Gary, sit down. We gotta talk, right. Gary. Because I, I was having some sympathy for this person who's clearly not well. Right. He's going through a lot. He's clearly not well. It seems like I, I know too much about him. But like, this racism dude you gotta go right. can't do that can't just you can't just like throw out this and like try to tarnish this guy's legacy who did a lot of a lot of good work and activism for the black community for the gay community like Gary for your own personal gain what are you doing it's just amazing and like he just has such blinders he is he won't be made to think anything else right so Judy calls the publisher and she's like look at what point do you change true crime to fiction and Gary took that as a threat and he was furious. Gary hears that. I'm sorry, girl. I'm seeing shades of you here. Goes to a million. <laughs> yeah. And here's Judy being like, um, th like things aren't true. Like, can something be done here? What's going to happen? Gary hears that as a threat to sue him and take him down. And he like completely flies off the handle. Yeah. And he like cuts ties with Judy and he's like, I felt like she had abandoned me all over again. I don't need her. You know, I lived 40 years without her. And Christy would always be my voice of reason saying, you need her. As he's saying this to us now, he's like spitting with anger. He's reliving all of this anger now. He is. And then Christy, his current wife, yeah. is here with us. Yeah. And she... Christy, blink twice, girl. Are you okay, girl? Well, she says so much here. I know. She doesn't have a lot of screen time right now, but boy, does she say a lot. She's like... When things aren't right with Gary and his mother, things aren't right in Gary's world. I think it's the whole abandonment issue will come back to haunt him. And he responds in a destructive manner toward her. There's just a lot to unpack here yeah. because he needs everything to be perfect, perfect, perfect. And what perfect means is believing him and going along with him 100% of the time because he will turn around and say, don't abandon me. You're abandoning me. Don't do that. Don't do that. And that is a really fucked up, abusive thing to do to somebody else. So Christy, run away. Get the hell out of there because there's no way she can live up to these expectations. There's just no way. Yeah. And so now we meet Michael Butterfield and he's the founder of a website called ZodiacKillerFacts.com. That's the shitty website he was on earlier. Earlier. Totally. And it's like, you know, a lot of these ones, these like old Zodiac killer sites are like shittily made, but they have good information. And whether or not you think it's good information, like there is a whole online community of people who are like actively trying to solve the Zodiac. Some of them are regular people. Some of them are people with too much time on their hands. Some of them are problematic. But like they call them Zodiologists. There's a word. I know. I'm sitting here thinking like they're just all armchair detectives, right? That's what right. we call them. Yeah. No, no. Zodiologists. What? Do you think that they would officially call me a vodkaologist? Absolutely, girl. Uh, <laughs> yeah, co-vodkaologist here signing off on that. <laughs> Well, the thing about it was that, like, of course, there's this huge online community, and he publishes this book. It's this, like, huge bestseller. He's on all the talk shows. And, of course, everybody in the Zodiac community has never heard of Earl Van Best Jr. They've never heard of Gary Stewart. They don't take him seriously, and they are coming for him on the internet. Well, Gary says something, and he goes, The fact that they had never heard of Earl Van Best Jr. ever before, I think, was kind of humiliating for them. 
And I'm like, Gary, say that again. Right. Because it doesn't make the point you think it does. You know what I mean? Like, he thinks that's a gotcha, and it's not a gotcha. So now, okay, here we go, you guys. So Gary is, like, so sanctimonious, like, sitting to the camera saying, like, They all have done years and years of research as to why their guy might be the Zodiac Killer. There are people trying to push Richard Gajkowski, Arthur Lee Allen, and Ted Kaczynski. But none of the other suspects can be included because of handwriting and fingerprints and no name in the cipher. Well, David Orinchek is here to <laughs> shed some light on the situation. I build cryptology software for the FBI. And as you got into the details of the evidence that supposedly links his father to the killer, the evidence wasn't standing up to scrutiny. In short, he knows what he's talking about. So <laughs> he starts to dive into these ciphers and the evidence that Gary truly believes he sees in them. So we're back to that big, that famous like 340 cipher. And that's yeah. the one where Gary, one of the many ciphers where Gary was just like, there's a random shape and that looks like an A and that looks like a V and that looks like a whatever. I mean, it's the thing where he's saying that like Earl Van Best Jr. is written straight out, straight across the cipher backwards. Right. And this guy, David, is like, that's super problematic. Seems compelling because the entire name seems to fit. But there's a problem with this approach. What he's doing is taking some liberties, for instance, interpreting a circle to be the letter E. By taking these liberties, it increases the chances of finding a name. There's 20 symbols in each column, and the symbols can be interpreted different ways. Earl Van Best Jr. is only one out of 100,000 names that can be found using this method. He's seeing what he wants to see. We see the names, though. Did you see that? We see the screen where it's like, it's just populating the names and showing it straight across the cipher, straight across the cipher, straight across. Yeah. And there's like over 100,000 names that could be in there. So, you know, I love this kind of filmmaking. Maybe it's playing dirty. I don't know. But I, I needed <laughs> I needed a win here. I was really struggling with this, you know, because this is where it starts to turn around. And Gary goes, I am not a cipher expert, but I don't believe thousands of names can be found using all 17 columns. The Zodiac community then tried to discredit my fingerprint evidence. Okay, what about the other suspects? Do any of them have a scar on their right index finger? Shoot that one down. And just for clarity, you guys, Gary's father, Earl Van Best Jr., had a scar on his finger that seemed to match almost identically to a scar in a fingerprint that the Zodiac left on Paul Stein's cab. Yeah, but every time they show Gary something, he's like, yeah, but. So Gary's yeah. like, all right, fine. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Wanna, how about How about this? How about we talk about the fingerprints and how the scars match up? Shoot that one down. The next thing we hear is, <clears throat> I'm an expert in uh, fingerprints. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Yes, we're going to shoot it down. We're going to shoot that shit down, Gary. It's Glenn Langenberger. Hey, girl, she's here to shoot that shit down. The subject that the white line is being compared against has a scar on his right index finger. But the original blood print from the Zodiac is either the left index finger or it's the right ring finger. The only way it could be the right index is if the images were reversed. So Glenn's like, all right, I'm going to make this quick. I got like a ton of shit to do. Uh, so right. so Glenn is comparing these and he's like, so they're not even the same finger. They're the wrong finger. Right. The image that Gary has is reversed. And according uh -huh. to Glenn, like we all have like scars and stuff on our fingers. And also yeah. it's not high res. So Glenn's like, I'm not sure really what could be said about these fingerprints other than that they are generally fingerprints. In conclusion, the only thing that these two fingerprints have in common is that they're both fingerprints. Bye. <laughs> the end. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk.
I feel like he was standing up and taking his mic off as he was saying 100%. that. Hundred percent more important to be. I got. I mean, I got a. I have a Lagavulin with my name on right. it. I, I. He's like they were both fingerprints, and you can barely hear fingerprints. Yeah, the, and the, 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 the thing door. about these fingerprints is that they're both fingerprints. I gotta. <laughs> where the lift is where? God, I'm so late. But guess what, girl? Gary has new evidence now that they didn't have when the book came out. Doesn't he? How interesting. So ABC Primetime Live does a Zodiac special in 2003 that looks like it's from the early 90s. These graphics look like that shitty Zodiac Facts website. It's like the shaky thing. It's like the Zodiac Killer. It's so horrible. Tonight, we return to one of the most enduring and chilling mysteries of the last 25 years. The unsolved case of the serial killer who called himself... Zodiac. So the thing about Zodiac is that he would always add this extra postage. Like he just really wanted to make sure his letters got to the Chronicle. Can you imagine you murder all these people and then you're like writing to the San Francisco Chronicle to taunt them about it, but your letter gets returned for lack, like not enough postage? He's like, God damn it. Not on my watch. So because there's all this extra postage, they're like, maybe the spit from the stamp could lead somewhere, right? Because this is the 60s. There's not stickers like we have today. (laughs) So, you know, it turns out, of course, they got some DNA partials but maybe a little bit helpful. So they do this thing just to show you guys, you guys, we know our audience, right? You've seen all of this. Like, here's the DNA results and they have to blur shit out. This is in that ABC special. Right, from 2003, but looks like it's from the 1800s. So they they blurred out this like really important information, like these specific genetic markers. We're not going to get into all the, it's just like genetic markings, whatever. So Gary is like, it was a bad blur job, you guys. It was a bad blur job, you guys. And that old primetime documentary actually showed a blurred image of those five genetic markers. But it was a very poor job of blurring. So if you're really careful and stop it at the right moment, you can actually see what those values are. So Gary's like, I just squinted real hard and I extracted the five genetic markers that they have on file for the Zodiac. And I'm like, at this point, like viewers at home, who really believes this now? Like, honestly. But you know who totally believes it? His friend, Susan. Gary did this first and he wrote down what he thought they were. And then he called me up and he said, Susan, I want you to come over and watch this. And he said, Susan, I want you to write down what you think it is. And we came up independent of each other, exactly the same thing. I'm like ZZ, like snoring, like eye roll emoji, like whatever. So, and you guys remember it because Gary squinted and they, and Susan squinted and they wrote down blurred shit. They are now like, that's it. This is the genetic profile of the Zodiac killer. Also it was a partial match. Like, what are you talking about? So they take these nonsense numbers to some independent testing lab. Where they also gave Gary's DNA so they could compare his DNA to the bad blur job DNA from the TV thing. And the results say the DNA, quote, could not be excluded. If the numbers missed Stewart provided are correct, there's a 97 to 99.8% probability that these markers originated from the Zodiac. 99.8% certain that my father was the Zodiac killer. And he just stares at the camera with that shit-eating grin. Like, And what he's saying is, fuck the fingerprints, fuck the... The handwriting, the picture, the location, the facts, anything. But here's what really stuck with me as we end episode three. He's not out to prove, in, in this situation with the genetic matching, he's not out to prove that Earl Best is the Zodiac. He's out to prove that the Zodiac, whoever it is, is his father. You know what I mean? God, I didn't even think of it that way, but you're absolutely right. He just wants the Zodiac to be his dad. Earl Best or not. Yeah. That's what he wants. Tell me one more time how you really hope you're wrong, Gary. What are the odds? Enough. (laughs) All right. Zodiac episode. I'm just calling it Zodiac episode four. What's this thing called again? The most dangerous animal of all. I don't understand how... (laughs) 
All right. So episode four starts. It's like a rehash where Gary's saying like, uh, once again, let me just remind you that based on the DNA evidence, there's a 99% chance that the Zodiac Killer was my father. Again, making the point, Earl Van Best Jr. or not, according to this like bogus DNA situation, the Zodiac Killer was definitely his dad. Right. So remember that that SFPD guy that Gary was talking to, John Hennessy, who was like in charge of the closed and inactive Zodiac case? Yeah. And he's the one that Gary gave his DNA to. Right. So he's just like, I hadn't heard from Hennessy in years. I'm like, yeah, because she got wise and was like, I'm not taking that guy's fucking phone calls. Keep that shit off my desk. I have stuff to do. So, and also because Hennessy like moved on. So there's a new guy in charge now and his name is Gianrico Perucci. When I met with Gary Stewart, he wanted to make sure that his DNA was actually done. It was actually analyzed. So I contacted the lab and I told him that the DNA had been analyzed. I told him that his father wasn't going to be excluded. You guys, the semantics here are very important. Perucci says, yes, we ran your DNA, and I told him that his father wasn't going to be excluded. To me, this was like a fucking bomb, because, like, what is anybody who hears those words, what are they going to think? Of course they're going to think that, yeah, my dad's a Zodiac killer. Well, they're not listeners of this podcast, because every time that comes up, I scream about how that does not mean it's a match. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, at this point, Gary and I both are like, oh, shit, girl, that, that's kind of a big deal. And the thing is, Perucci is just like, he's just saying the lie. And, and using the cop script he doesn't know Gary the way we know Gary at this point oh, right. so he doesn't yeah. know like how careful and handholdy he has to be he's just like doing his job a million percent hey guess what girl what the hot guy's here Zach Feckheimer is here he's cute as a button and he is a PI and he is on the case Gary's project was sparked initially off of a quest of a son trying to find his father and that sparked my interest it's almost like a father and son PI team because David, his dad, like taught Zach everything he knew. And also Dave, Zach's dad, he knew Paul Avery and Dave Toski. I know. <laughs> I was like fangirling vicariously. Yeah. And his dad has been a PI in San Francisco for 100 years. He knew everybody involved in the Zodiac case. And so we're in, we're in good hands. And at first, Zach is like just so trying to be nice because I'm like, oh, Zach knows. Zach totally yeah. knows what's up. Zach the PI. And he's like. When I read the book, I was skeptical at first. But I kept coming across names and uh, writing them down on a notebook next to my bedside table. Then when I'd go and run them through the system, it seems like Gary did a lot of pretty accurate genealogical research about Earl Van Best. Yeah, um, it seemed Gary did like a lot of accurate um, like genealogical research on Earl Van Best right. Jr. Uh, he did that, like that was good. And I'm like, great, not why we're here though, Zach. No, and I love Zach because Zach just wants the facts. Zach wants to start by finding out like an addressology. Mm -hmm. He just wants to know every single place that Earl Van Best lived in the time before the Zodiac was active and when the Zodiac was active so that they can like sort of cross reference it. And he's saying like, yeah, so a big challenge here is trying to figure out was there overlap with where Earl was during the time that the Zodiac crimes were committed. And if there was, is there a connection with SFPD? And is there anything there that would suggest a cover-up as Gary's put out in his book? So he's not only finding the locations, but he's also going to look into this bullshit police cover-up that Gary's been screaming about for three and a half episodes exactly. that also has no basis in reality. Right, exactly, exactly. And this is where Zach's dad comes back and he's like, I've never really believed that the San Francisco Police Department was a corrupt organization. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least if through carelessness, sloppiness, or foolishness, they had failed to figure out who the Zodiac was. 
great. There was a lot going on. Jurisdictions be damned. No technology. Like, you guys, there was a lot totally. happening. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So, Lynn, Judy's sister, is back. Girl, this is your time to shine. I know. <laughs> was it like looking in a mirror? Because she says, she's like, look, I was really interested in reading this book. Like, I, I mean, obviously, wouldn't you be? Oh, my God. And she's like... One of the reasons I wanted to read the book was because I thought, at last, I'm going to find out what really happened. But it starts off right away with things that are, are inaccurate and fabricated. I think my hair was on fire the first read-through of the book. She was like, I think my hair is actually on fire. And, and she says it so calmly. Like, it's so funny because she's like, and I was so furious. I mean, it's almost as if my hair was on fire. And I'm like, you guys are the same person, only you scream about your fake hair being on fake fire. My hair's on fire. Yeah. I love it. Well, because Lynn is saying, she's like, there are inaccuracies from the jump. She's like, the whole thing about the bus, remember? Like, you know, we learned that Van was like waiting for Judy off the bus like for five days in a row and Judy wasn't interested, but then she finally was. And Van connected that to the Zodiac threatening to blow up a bus full of school children. It's like a big connection he makes. Lynn is like... And there's a lot of talk about getting off a school bus. There were no school buses. We didn't get off a school bus. School buses were for elementary school children. This is when I'm like, Gary, fuck you. His mom has been through so much trauma and your memory is altered when you've been through that. Fine, whatever. If she, you want to say she handled it wrong by saying I don't remember and she wasn't honest with her son about the father. Like, fine. But he's now like blaming his mother's memory and he's like. I'll tell you, my first manuscript says streetcar. One day, my mother told me, honey, I was wrong about the streetcar. I got off the school bus. Well, I just said what she said, like, and has no sympathy for maybe what she went through. Because for me, it was it was a little bit about that. But also, this is where Gary tries to blame everybody else for his book being made of lies. So he's blaming his mother for misremembering details. Later on, he's going to blame Susan for being the one who actually wrote the book. Like, he's saying, I just wrote what people told me. And so we just keep going with the inaccuracies in the book. It's all just hogwash. Like, all of this is just wrong. And then Susan and Gary did this, like, really disgusting thing where they would, like, recreate the police file reports in the book but they turned them into scenes with dialogue almost like fiction so they would change the suspect or the Zodiac or whatever to Van or my father it was weird reading the book I remember he would say like and then my father came out from behind the tree and murdered those kids and I'm like this is so vile honestly HarperCollins like what are you doing but the best part about this whole thing is that Judy is saying like after the book was published Susan called me and I said to her why did you have to make the dialogue so preposterous? And she said, well, those are all right from the police reports. And I said, if that was your investigation, then I rest my case. That's when Judy realized you guys didn't do any actual research. All you did was get police reports and turn those into scenes, but you didn't like investigate this at all. And you guys, this is when I got quite an education about the book industry yeah. and HarperCollins and all these people. You guys, fact-checking kind of isn't a thing. Who knew? You would think that a big publisher like HarperCollins has a budget for fact-checking, but they don't. The book publishing industry, they don't require it. They need to sell books that are as compelling and maybe sensational as they could possibly be. And so all of the responsibility for making sure that the work is true and accurate and not copied or other things is actually put on the author. 
it's this horrible cycle where the writer, like this guy Gary, gets so inside his head and so inside the story, and he believes the story so much, it's easy for him to make mistakes, he has no perspective, and this super cute nerdy guy from BuzzFeed, like, it's very hard to kind of look up one day and say, wait a second, have we, have we taken a few steps too far? And your editor's not gonna say that because they wanna sell the book too. Everybody's invested in this guy being the Zodiac Killer. I think what we're getting at in this section is that, like, I don't know that Gary was out to lie. I think Gary just believed the story so wholeheartedly he was willing to tell some half-truths to get the book there. Well, first of all, they call it a narrative touch-up, which I cannot even fucking believe. And then, did you catch this? They OJ us. No. Because they're like, well, we weren't making factual claims. We were just setting the scene about how, you know, maybe, right. possibly, most likely could have happened. And I'm like, don't you OJ me. Right. Don't <laughs> do it. I won't. I, I won't have it. And look, we... we we say this all the time. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, his dad really is the Zodiac Killer. And yeah. he really solved one of the most famous cold cases of all time. You would not need to embellish. Right, right. You you wouldn't have to do a narrative touch-up, whatever the fuck that is. The truth is right. enough. I know. And so Hot Zack is back. <laughs> and at this point, he's compiled like a complete address history for Van. It's like a timeline comparison with like where the Zodiac was. And now he starts knocking down things that are in the book. So he tells us. So in the book, Gary says that Earl lived at 797 Bush Street in 1969 the story goes that paul stein picked up his fare two blocks from 797 bush but i don't see any evidence that he lived there in 1969 he did live there in 1967 which is two years prior to the murder of paul stein he didn't live there like that that's a lie right. in the book right and this is where we get deep into like Gary backtracking and Susan backtracking and double backtracking and they're both trying to blame it on each other. Like we get yeah. a lot of he said, she said, literally. Because Gary's like, I just told Susan what happened. Like all I did, I was like, Susan, this happened, this happened, then this happened. And Susan's the one who turned it into a whole book section. And then Susan's like, each time I was like, ah, did that really happen? Then I would have an email that said, here's William saying it right here. There were certain things where I did have to take a small leap of faith, but I got to a point where when Gary told me something, I didn't doubt him because he always had evidence to back it up. But the thing that we learned here is that, like, I don't think anyone was out to do anything bad. I just think they weren't using best practices. And Susan is saying that, like, anytime I had a question, Gary would show me a document. But the document was an email. It was an email from a friend saying, like, oh, yes, I remember when this happened. It wasn't, like, an actual legal document saying this thing happened. So it's, like, it's just a memory document. And then Susan was saying, like, you know, it just got to the point where this happened so often that I just trusted it. I didn't even question question him anymore. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think that Gary made up those email addresses and wrote those emails and sent them to himself? Because I do. I don't know. Yeah. I, I want to, I mean, when we find out that he, we're going to find out in a minute that he actually truly altered a document. Yeah. That's where I get to like, that's him actively trying to lie. Yes. Girl, can we talk about handwriting analysis again? It's the Zodiac case. Where would we be without <laughs> handwriting? So remember this guy, Michael Washkill or whatever his name is. He's the handwriting guy from like episodes past. And he was the one who compared, this is so absurd I like cannot get over it he it. was the one who compared the marriage certificate which apparently Van wrote to the Zodiac letters so he says this thing which I think is like ridiculous and dangerous he's like I'm convinced 100% that whoever wrote the marriage certificate is the Zodiac killer and I'm like oh right. my god 
Um, it's so ridiculous. So Gary tells us that his mom told him, look, I saw Van fill out the marriage certificate. So that's what that handwriting is. But it turns out Van didn't fill out the marriage certificate. The priest or the minister, whoever filled out the marriage certificate. As part of my due diligence and follow on, I contacted the church where they got married. I wanted to find out, do they have examples of the preacher's writing? And they did, which caused me to come to the virtually certain opinion the minister, Edward Flieger, wrote the marriage certificate. And instead of being like, oh, okay, so the priest filled it out and Gary's full of shit, the handwriting guy makes this gigantic leap <laughs> and he's like... Because we know that the police sketch of the eyewitnesses of the Zodiac matches Earl Van Best Jr. It raises the question, did the minister and Earl Van Best Jr. work together, one writing the letters, one doing the killing? best is a Zodiac killer, but the priest is the guy who wrote all his letters. I fucking solved it. And I'm like, what am I watching? And he's saying it straight face to the camera. It's like, what? And it's just because he's made his life being a handwriting expert and that's bogus science. We all know that now. And he's just trying to save face. Right. And the thing is, Gary doesn't like this theory for the most fucked up reason ever. Because Gary yeah. needs the Zodiac killer to 100% be his dad, both the killing and the letters. So he right. can't have some priest. <laughs> writing the letters like it's zodiac 100 or bust but when they when they're spouting this theory about the priest they're slow zooming in on a picture of him with this really creepy like horror movie music i was like you guys this poor priest he didn't do this he's a man of god he also married a 14 and 27 year old just saying that's true that's totally true. i mean totally true. different time aside <laughs> fuck that total garbage so gary's like fine okay fine the handwriting okay the fingerprints okay whatever my dad is still the zodiac killer i hate to say it. Because of the DNA. He's saying th right. the one thing that Gary is holding onto is this DNA evidence that wasn't in the book. He's like, none of the rest of this matters. My DNA matches the Zodiac Killer. Right. Because they put it on ABC News, blurted out, he squinted, and now right. thinks he figured out the numbers. <laughs> That's where we are, right? But so you guys, get ready. We got to meet producer Harry. Harry Phillips is the guy who made this documentary like in 2003 or whatever. Harry is here to spill all the tea. Right. And so Harry Phillips, again, taking his mic off, basically, because he's like, right. I just don't don't understand like it's so obvious to him it's just so obvious he also came dressed for the interview which i love i love that he's like that tv guy that usually probably shows up to like the control room in flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt but he's on camera he ran a fucking comb through his hair he came ready to talk he is this series diane diamond <laughs> on yes! top of it knows his shit very just like one two totally. three bada bing bada boom let's go cocktail party come on and so he tells us that the bad blur job numbers that represented the zodiac killer's dna sequence those were fake numbers girl and he basically he just says like the DNA profile that you saw on television was not provided by the San Francisco Police Department that would be reckless He's like, girl, we didn't even have access to that information. Who's going to show that shit to me? You idiots. Right? <laughs> you morons who are buying this hook, line, and sinker. I'm looking directly at you, Gary, said Harry. He literally is like, we would never do that. That would be reckless. Like, he says it as like an afterthought. And the reason they would never do that is just in case some idiot, some nut, is trying to connect himself to the Zodiac Killer. That's why you would never do it, Gary. Yeah, they didn't want some hack getting a book deal with Harper Collins right. and spreading all this misinformation <laughs> and ruining lives. 
lives. This all fucking comes to a head in real time, you guys. The yeah. producers of this doc, this documentary, the one that we're watching, they are telling Gary this information in person. And this is where Gary starts to melt down. And you know, they've got like five different cameras on him. So we start, they do that thing where it's not going well, where they start showing him from different angles. <laughs> You're doing it with your hands. And they literally, I don't know if you noticed this, but they're like, it's almost as though they emailed me and they're like, Patrick, girl, could we borrow that garbage minute music? And uh-huh. they're playing the garbage minute music underneath him. I said to Mike, Bravo Housewives music. Here we go. <laughs> the value of the allele may have been changed may have been blurred, it doesn't matter. The fact that my father can't be eliminated as Zodiac suspect means, means all five of these match. So they've got a single value, not a double value of the, the, the loci. They've got at least one of the two four that that are the zodiac this killer. goes on for five minutes he is talking and t- i actually tried to follow what he was saying oh and girl. it doesn't make any sense normally you know me i'd be like oh you know i paused and wrote that shit down no right because he is talking in circles he so desperately needs his dad to be the zodiac killer and it's so sad and weird and fucked up but he's not hearing it exactly the way that like this part ends with gary is gary saying like well forget the documentary thing forget the blurred values that guy perucci he tested my dna he has the actual Zodiac Killer values and he's the one who told me that my dad couldn't be excluded. So like that's still the thing that's like okay let's see where this goes. Yeah. So now you guys the other big thing that happens here is we learn that Gary falsified a police report. So the whole big thing in the book is that Van spent time in a Tascadero that mental hospital where they put like the sexual deviance with like the shock therapy and all that. Supposedly with Arthur Lee Allen the main Zodiac suspect. Right. And so like this is a lynch pin of the book for a million reasons. Susan's going to tell us it gives him the right psychosis to be a serial killer. It puts him with Arthur Lee Allen. It makes all of it possible. And in the book, the police report that says that he went to a Tascadero is printed with it saying that he went to a Tascadero. And now the filmmakers are confronting us and Susan with the fact that when they look at the original police report, it was identical to the police report in the book, except in the book, the Tascadero piece had been added. He photoshopped it. He's lying to Susan. He's lying to us. He's lying to everybody. And Susan does this thing where she like, she's looking at the camera because now everyone's getting busted in real time. And she does that thing where she's like, I can't speak to that. The cleats report that I saw had a Tuscadero in it. Can you give me a minute? They don't turn the camera off. And I was like, Susan, it's a hot mic. We've been through this before. Don't. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you just hear her in the back going. <sighs> She gets up and walks away, dot, 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 for a cocktail, I'm sure. Because, girl. <laughs> so Susan's like, motherfucker. And then it's like one month later. And I'm like, yeah. ooh. <laughs> so she stewed for a month. She was just furious yeah. for a month. Let's go. Let's go. You know she go. took that pink gun and went into the, into the grass and shot that gun for the entire month. I like to think that the footage we see at the beginning is from this one month later. And then they just put it right at the top. So she's devastated. Yeah. And because like she's been so cocky and confident this whole time. And now she is like mea culpa-ing all over the place. But she's also doing this thing that we hate. She's acting like it happened to her. Girl, do your research. Do your job. She's like, I just, I read some suspicious email. Gary told me that his dad was a Zodiac killer. I believed it. What was I supposed to do? Research it? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Also, remember Nancy scale? We have a Susan scale here. Either you're Susan Simpson. (laughs) 
<laughs> or you're Susan Mustafa. You two, the time is now. Who do you want to be? You want to do? You want to research the shit out of anything and solve some things like Susan Simpson? Uh, totally. Or, or do you want to find the goddamn facts cover sheet? Or don't you? Honestly, now it's now or never. It's right. up to you. You choose. There's only one right answer, by the way. So the whole thing, the whole linchpin that Gary had been clinging to for forever is this Perucci guy who's now in charge of the Zodiac case had said to Gary that he can't exclude Gary's father as the Zodiac killer based on the DNA. So Susan Mustafa, in an attempt to save her ass, somehow gets this guy to meet her at a bar. They meet at a bar. Can we talk about this bar? Yeah. It's kind of, I think it's kind of cool burlesque gothy. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but underneath where they're sitting, there are these old timey like chains and wrist cuffs <gasps> under the table. What? Like hanging down. And I don't know. I'm like, I think is it like a is it an SM bar, which is great, or like a burlesque? <laughs> like it's kind of but like like the, the point is Susan picked the joint. Right. There's no question. She picked the place. So Perucci's like I, I wasn't referring to the DNA when I excluded when I told him that he couldn't be excluded. Okay. What I was trying to tell him was, and I, you know, I think he did misinterpret me telling him, no, I, I you know, I, I can't exclude your father. Mm-hmm. I can't exclude your father as, as a Zodiac. Only because we don't have the knowledge that the Zodiac actually touched or licked the stamp. Gary's DNA was checked by our lab. And that's all I can tell you. So he like holds her hand through this and explains yeah. it to her like she's five, which I understand. I would need that too. If I were talking to Perucci, I'd be like, girl, explain to me like I'm five. And he's like, girl, I was just doing that cop thing where I'm like, I, I apprehended the vehicle means I just got in the car. I don't know. I'm calling a little bit of bullshit on this. This is the moment. Okay, let's go. Well, I don't have anything to say here except for the fact that when you see Perucci earlier in the film, I went back mm-hmm. and watched it and he is saying. And I told him that the DNA had been analyzed. I told him that his father wasn't going to be excluded. Like, he says it, you know? And, like, now he's saying, well, what I meant by that was X, Y, and Z, and I'm not buying it. I'm not saying that his dad is a Zodiac killer, but Perucci is not. He's not going to sit down with Susan Mustafa for a fucking FX documentary and spill the tea. I think there is more behind his eyes that he is not saying. Interesting. And I wonder if maybe it's just because he kind of, like, wanted to be involved. Yeah. You know, I I don't think think there's a cover-up. I don't think there's any kind of secret DNA connection. I think he's just like, this sounds fun. I haven't been to a bar in a while. Right. <laughs> but so we're back with Hot Zach. Guess what, you guys? It turns out Susan is the one who hired Hot Zach. So Hot Zach, the PI. He's been shooting down all the lies. This way. He's the one who's like, well, actually. And it's a yep. good will, actually, because he's right. Totally. And he was hired by Susan. So now Susan is sitting in this guy's living room. And he's like, so here's a couple other things that didn't hold up, girl. That whole Mikado thing. <laughs> what I've been able to tell, the Japanese empire had banned the Mikado. And it only became released publicly after the end of World War II in 1945. But the Van Best family leaves Japan in 1941. Remember, the whole idea was that, like, Van's family saw the Mikado in Japan and they sent the playbill home. Right. And, like, the whole final thing here is that, like, there's this big empty space in Van's timeline about, like, where he was in, like, in 1970, basically. Like, where was Van in 1970? And it's those couple years where it was, like, the height of the Zodiac. Before he ever disappeared, it was that, like, 68 to 71. Like, that, those big years. Yeah, and it turns out we have a letter from Van's daughter. So Gary's half-sister that he's never met. And she's like... They all moved back to Austria where I was born in 1970. A year later, my father left my mother and went back to the States. Susan looks at the camera and she's like... If Earl Van Best Jr. was not in the country in 1970, he, he couldn't have been the Zodiac Killer. Case closed. 
case closed. It was like the most body movingest moment of the whole thing. It was so body moving. And that's yeah. from Don't Fuck With Cats, you guys. But it really ends with Susan. We're in Susan's living room. Oh, my God. And Susan. <laughs> oh, my God. Because it fades out and then it fades yeah. back in. I know. And I'm like, ooh. What's happening? And Susan just, I love her for being so out loud and proud about this. She's like, Today's Friday the 13th. <laughs> so I think tonight I'm just going to get drunk as shit and sit outside on that nice little Lene overlooking San Francisco and burn the fuck out of that book. <laughs> Is that what you're gonna put on phone? <laughs> and we have Bravo Housewife music because it's like fun music again because we're back to Susan and the bar yes! I'm pretty sure she owns. She must have a piece of that. She's gotta. It's so on, it's so on brand for her. <laughs> Oh my God, you guys, we did the most dangerous animal of all. I'm so glad we did this, girl. I'm so glad you finally, after I know. seven hours, know the name of this goddamn thing. I know. Think, are you proud of me? I mean, yeah, <laughs> if I have to be. If you need that in this moment, then yeah, I'll Thank give it to you. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you guys, don't forget, if you want more fun, laughs, good times. Fun, laughs, good times. Hang out with Julian and I on the Patreon. Over 140 full bonus episodes of TCO to get right now. Five bucks a month, you guys. It's all of our series. It's Donut with Cats, The Jinx, Making a Murderer, Serial, The Staircase. You know it all. Everything's ad-free. We also have, like, depending on the tier, we have, like, ringtones, monthly surprises. We're doing, like, these Zoom hangouts, which is fun. We yeah. have one tomorrow. That's so fun. I know. And so you know where to go. Just go to patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed or go to our website. Click on the Patreon link. I'm going to ask you guys to check out the Obsessed Network website to see all the podcasts we're making. Everyone's looking for new content. Go check it out. The website's really great. Julian and I look amazing on it. I mean, I'm, I'm doing some shoulder moves. I know they can't see me, but <laughs> I'm very excited about the website. Girl, tell the people what we're doing next. We are doing Killing Versace. Versace. Uh, it's Versace for our Showgirls fans. <laughs> <laughs> Killing Versace, the hunt for a serial killer. We are not laughing about any of this, by the way. Just, just We're laughing at ourselves. It's a bonkers oxygen documentary from a couple years ago. It's about that serial killer Andrew Cunanan, who, like, killed a whole bunch of people including Gianni Versace guys it's super gay it's real gay and it's very bird cagey which is also gay because it all happens in <laughs> South in Beach. Miami oh my god it's horrible you know I, I knew about this murder because I was like alive when it happened but I, I didn't know a lot about it and oh my god I know I know I the know. mismanagement of every goddamn police force or any with the FBI I mean we're all at fault here it feels like it feels like I did something wrong too because everyone did something wrong in this thing <laughs> don't forget to find us on the social media you guys true crime obsessed podcast on the instagram just go follow us there we're doing stories and lives and when i'm editing the podcast i do like fun outtakes in the stories the stories are the best i'm at patrick Hines underscore on instagram at patrick Hines on the twitter gp where are you oh my god i'm at jillian with a g i almost don't know what this is what this is so weird either. we're not doing we're it that's <laughs> i haven't said my own social media in like a year <laughs> i know we're just mixing we're keeping it real over here we're, we're mixing it up promise me you'll use the hair on fire little gif sticker when we talk about you and and sister lynn both having your hair on fire absolutely i mean come on it writes itself it writes itself <laughs> all right we love you you guys thanks for hanging all right bye bye a larger than life fashion icon Johnny Versace was not for the faint of heart. And a wannabe celebrity. Everything he told everybody was probably a lie. With a deadly obsession. He was determined to be remembered, and he was willing to kill for fame. A brazen murder that rocked the country. Broad daylight, 
steps of his home, Andrew just very boldly crossed the street, walked up right behind him, and shot him. Versace was shot twice in the head at close range on the steps of his house in South Beach, Miami. You took somebody away at the height of their career, at the height of their happiness, devastated a family. The culmination of a cross-country rampage. It was a very brutal killing. Many, many blows to the face and to the back of the head. It was very clear that Cunanan was a gay man killing gay men. Now, inside the demented mind of a serial killer. There was no way to predict what this man would do. Lots of questions. Why? He was good at lying. He was good at deception. He was good at hiding in plain sight. The massive manhunt. Incredible. Never had that much pressure on me, ever. And the frantic race to stop the bloodshed. The expectation was, yes, there will be another murder. vocal cords are warm the hell up. You want to know why? Why? Because it's a heat box. It's 800 degrees. I know. I, it's, I, it's nice. You know, I can I can work and take a steam. Yeah. <laughs> like some, at one point in the history of TV making, somebody decided to take graphics seriously. I don't know what day it was, but it should be a goddamn holiday. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, maybe the, the spin of the snap will take us somewhere. I know. I just need my bow tie and I'll be, I'll be exactly yeah. like Dave Toski. <laughs> Gary is like, it was a bad blur job, you guys. <laughs> it was a bad blur job, you guys. A bad blur job. I used to get bad blur jobs all through my youth until I learned. I literally have the note. It took till episode four, but finally there's a hot guy here. 